Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, hello, everyone, and you join us here today, Tom and I, to have a discussion. And you might know how this goes by now. We are sick and tired of the sight and sound of each other, so we've thrown a mediator into the mix. Welcome, Adrian Barker. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm very well. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, good, thanks, yeah. All the better for hearing your sultry tones. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I love how you you massively change your voice. You, you suddenly turn off that, that that Cockney accent and then just turn on this radio voice. It's it's it's, it's really interesting how you do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, born and bred in southeast London, my friend. <laughs> and then the radio voice comes on. Yeah, radio, radio. Sorry, I interrupted your flow. No, no, all good. Um, so, well, Adrian, for, for those of us uh, who um, are viewers and listeners who have been living under a rock, who are you and what do you do? I'm a guy who likes watches and makes videos about watches. That's, I feel like that's that's pretty much what I do. I, I, I like mainly tool watches, watches with purpose. Uh, so that's kind of what I focus on, really, is um, just watches that I like. Yeah, we do that too. So it makes perfect sense that we talk to each other and share our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was hoping to do today with you um, is to talk about what's up and coming in the world of watches. Often we talk about things that have come out and it's very easy to say, yes, yes, see, they've, they've done this thing and I knew they were going to do that. But what I want to do <laughs> yeah. is start laying the groundwork for what we think they're going to do next. And we can all come back together in a thousand years time and, and determine whether or not we were correct. Uh, are you up for the challenge of, of putting your reputation where your mouth is and predicting some watches <laughs> yes because every time i've done this in the past i've been dead wrong so just just my apologies for letting the side down but i don't have a good track record of this i, I, but I do have things to say so so yeah game on i have a feeling that the the watch brands listen to our podcast if only to go right they've suggested this that will definitely be a failure so we won't yeah. do that we'll do the next we've, <laughs> we've slimmed the case down by a millimeter and used a different color on the dial damn what can we do now <laughs> turn it upside down <laughs> yeah. oh do you know what i was so pleased with myself when we saw that rolex teaser video and it had a shot of it reflected and i was like that means i'm gonna do a left-handed one and i, and I was the only person in the entire universe, and I stand by that, who spotted it. And I was right. It's the only time I've ever been right about anything. <laughs> and I was so annoyed I missed that. Because when you look at it again, it's so clear which side is the reflection and which side is the actual product. Yeah. But my stupidity didn't even think that it could possibly be a reflection. It's just painful when you look back and just think, how did you not see that? Because one side is very clear and very crisp, and the other side is quite clearly ever so slightly blurred. It's like, yeah, that's... That's painful. But I, I can't stand that watch. I think it's absolutely vile. It's, 
it hurts my brain. And the amount of watch shops who put it upside down. Not watch shops, ADs, <laughs> who put it upside down. It's, it's hilarious. The new Australia edition. Um, I find yeah. it a little bit, when you look at it, it's a bit like, have you ever driven a car where the indicators are on the wrong side? That, yes, that's exactly what it feels like. You, it it like, all oh. makes sense when you break down the individual elements. Like, yes, I understand this watch. But when you step back and look at it as a, 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 a single product, it just it hurts my brain. I, yeah. I can't. You go to set the time, but you accidentally just spray your windscreen instead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's our first failed prediction that the left-handed GMT will be a complete failure and no one will like it because obviously, of course, it's incredibly popular. Um, But for our first non-Rolex topic, perhaps it will touch upon Rolex and I expect it probably will. Materials. We've been dining out on steel for so long. Rose Gold has had a little bit of a say. Where do you think we're going to go next, Adrian? So before, if we were to jump back, say, eight months um, and the economy was in a relatively stable position, Ukraine was a happy place, I would have said there's going to be a massive trend of two-tone and gold will be coming back for two reasons. One, uh, maybe three reasons. People are annoyed about how hard it is to buy steel versions of watches and Mm -hmm. so they, they, they... buy the the gold version because it's slightly easier but also people have more money we 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 are still not spending in the same way that we were um before covid or or at least we're not going on holiday in the same way that we were before covid and so we we had money to to burn essentially and so that that kind of gave us the the reason to to upgrade our metal from steel to gold Um, but also visually i i I think two tones are really good looking Mm -hmm combination I, I i love the color combination whether it's yellow or, or rose gold but because we're in the situation that we're in because the economy is the way that it is i actually think that we're going to be moving away from um and this is my prediction that i think will be very wrong but my prediction is we're going to be moving away from things that are overtly um flamboyant overtly flashy mm-hmm. i think we're going to be going back to i, I feel like this was perhaps five years ago the under the radar wealth, the 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 white gold will be coming back again. Perhaps more adventurous things like playful things around titanium and maybe um, uh, playing around with different shades of metal. I really liked the Vacheron Constantin overseas, uh, the Everest edition, yep. where they're playing with with titanium and, and steel together, getting those little subtle shades of of um, metal. But that's that's where I feel like we're going to be going, moving away from gold or at least uh, yellow and rose gold and and moving back to more plain metals, more under the radar wealth. Because I think, um, not to put it down on the show, but I think the economy is in a bad way and I can't see it recovering. I think it's going to go down even further. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get political. Well, I I have potentially the complete opposite thought. Right. And I'll I'll lay that out for you and and see what you think. And I and no doubt we will somehow both be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've got this theory that we move in cycles of fifty years when it comes to watch trends. Wow. Based on what is popular at auction. So we the people sit about ten years behind the people who are like the first people to spot trends in auction and stuff like that. And the long and short of it is, is that I think that we, the general watch buying public pick up on the new watches that are based on trends from 50 years ago. A very easy way to slice that is with the 1970s, right? With all of the big hype. 
And so my feeling is that the next trend will be an 80s trend, which is gold. Um, so yellow gold, like the resurgence of specifically yellow gold instead of rose or white or platinum, but yellow gold. Because yellow gold over the last few decades has been a bit kind of like, ew. Um, one of the big tales of this, I think, is that the 222 is back in all mm -hmm. gold. But what I do agree with you with is that um, again, in the 80s, stuff started getting quite a bit smaller. So you had things like the um, the Piaget Polo S. I think that was a watch in the 80s. And it was still quite a thin watch. It was still quite an under-the-cuff disappear, but it was all in yellow gold. So I think you're right in that. I think wealth will become less ostentatious in the fact that it doesn't fit under a cuff, but it'll all be gold and it'll just slip under smaller gold watches. That's that's interesting. Mm. And I think that's gonna gonna sit hand in hand with the fact that we're gonna see watchmakers like Bulgari and Piaget and the, the jewelry watchmakers who were popular in the eighties start to get a little bit more popularity with those yellow gold type watches. Um you two seem to both be forgetting the massive explosion in popularity in uh, bioceramics. <laughs> and uh <laughs> I think uh explosion in views maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we're headed. More sustainable materials. E-steel, Panerai making a big push for that. The steel sports watch is going to be an evergreen product for the rest of our lives and uh, and it's going to just be more and more sustainable as we go on, I think. Yeah, it's a really good point. When when Rolex relaunched the Explorer as 36, I thought I'd, I was very happy because I'm wearing a 36 millimeter Explorer. It's legitimately my favorite watch of all time. <laughs> Uh, and uh, but I, I know that my my taste isn't perhaps everyone else's taste, and the trend certainly isn't for men or people to wear thirty six millimeter watches. So I thought that was an interesting move. It was also an interesting move that Rolex launched it as two tone because that's completely mm -hmm. against the whole idea of the Explorer. The Explorer isn't a submariner, it isn't an in your face watch, and so it's bizarre to make something flashy that isn't in your face because it's it's kind of saying let's make a statement piece of a piece that isn't the statement piece. Bit odd, but that completely taps into Andrew your your viewpoint. And if we were to say who is a trendsetter or who is the the one brand that looks forward and is able to predict the future, it quite possibly be Rolex. And so maybe you and Rolex are on it <laughs> with with the trends. But I, I think you're on it too. I think you're on it with the idea of not wanting things to be as showy, like big reshelf meals and things like that. Um, will start to disappear and be replaced by smaller watches that you know are expensive. And when they come out, you can see they look expensive. But it's kind of like back to the 1930s with the move away from pocket watches after the Great Depression and into wristwatches that fit under a cuff that are very minimally designed but are made of uh, exquisite materials. Um, and Tom, really good point about the sustainability because I, I expect as well we'll see talk of gold being reused less mining of new gold and more recovery of gold, perhaps from electronic devices or kind of un unworn jewellery and things like that. Um, and I think that will play a big part too. How much of tastemaking do you think is actually set out by a singular piece? Like the, the resurgence of the 222 is just something that Vacheron have felt like, oh, this could do really well now because everyone's after this boxy 70s style. Do you think there is going to be, is there a piece right now that, is setting that trend you, you're, you're saying yellow gold andrew is where it's going to be at do you think it's because of that that's sort of following on from you know the the popularity of the royal oak and, and things like that well i think that really bridges the gap between the two because it's a lot smaller it's a lot thinner it doesn't feel like the same kind of ostentatious size as the royal oak yeah and like the, it 
because it's all brushed as well and gold mm-hmm. i think that bridges the gap and and adrian your point about the two-tone explorer again i th- i think that's like weaning people back onto the idea of yellow gold and maybe we'll start to see more full yellow gold models start to become popular yeah the, the 222 is so much classier than than a royal oak it's mm-hmm. it, it 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 isn't that in your face design yes it's it's quite clearly gold it's it's a very it's a beautiful watch but it it, it feels classy um, kind of the difference between perhaps um, a sky dweller and a, a 36 millimeter day dates it's they 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 come across as two different um, products but i kind of feel like the, the the gold 222 it's a pinnacle of this integrated bracelet trend i kind of think how, how do you i mean until iwc if iwc launches an engineer <laughs> if they don't then they need a smack to be honest if they don't then i've, I've already told chris that I, I, I should chris granger that i should have his job and then you should step aside because that, that'd be one, one hell of a missed opportunity <laughs> i think it's um, funny what you're saying about um two-tone steel and gold adrian because i seem to recall it may even have been one of your videos i think um you were on your way somewhere you're in the airport and you um you know panned your camera across a boutique window in the airport perhaps and the only thing that was left in the rolex display was steel and gold that was like all you could get like all the steel sports models were all gone this was before they you know they've all been snapped up now but yeah but it was it's funny how steel and gold was like everyone was just like yeah but now you kind of think like maybe that's gonna that's gonna be the the main push now well i i think it's it, it's funny how um the uh how do i describe it the kind of second choice becomes the trend mm-hmm. yeah because it uh, uh, the the the, the aquanaut from patek that was kind of like oh you'd see that in the window but the nautilus would never be there but then suddenly that aquanaut became the popular thing and I, my theory is it was never the popular thing because people actually wanted it. It was a popular thing because people couldn't get the the, the Nautilus. I feel like the same thing is happening with the Royal Oak chronographs, um, especially um, yep. the offshore chronographs. You're seeing them all the everyone, not everyone. Lots of people have these these Royal Oak chronographs, and I think it's, you're only buying them because that's how you get the the plain Royal Oak. Yeah. yeah. But but that you're buying that to get further up the wait list. So there isn't actually a popularity around that. So perhaps two-tone kind of had a faux boost in popularity because yeah. you couldn't get the steel version. Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, this is actually growing on me now. <laughs> growing, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. a B-side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Aquanaut was very much the Nautilus we have at home, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, the other thing about yellow gold, I think, is that it feels old-fashioned. And as we move away from being like, what I want is something big and flashy. Actually, old fashioned means I'm being a bit more reserved and I'm being a bit more classy and I've, I've matured. It's, it has that vibe to it. Yeah. Those are all going to be quite expensive by the nature of the prices of gold, which I'm sure will go up as the economy um, wobbles. So that brings us on to affordable watches. We're seeing more and more affordable watches coming out from niche uh, independent watchmakers, and even just designers. So I keep banging on about Studio Underdog and, and Richard Bentz and, and what he has done in the very short period of time to create something that's very well revered. Uh, what do you think, Adrian, is going to be the future of uh, accessible, affordable watches for people who can no longer stretch to where Rolex has gone? It's a difficult position because uh, these small brands, like Studio Underdog, uh, Richard has done a phenomenal uh, feat with with what he's created with, with Studio Underdog, but there's a real challenge around 
uh, the scalability of it and upsetting the market. A lot of people are annoyed with Rolex, annoyed with Patek, annoyed with AP because we can't get hold of the watches. It doesn't matter how many, how much money we have in the bank. We just can't walk into these shops and buy them. And we, we don't want any more of that uh, that process. But then we have challenges where people like Studio Underdog are creating legitimately brilliant watches very nicely designed watches but then they simply don't have the scalability to to feed the internet demand because you can have a his watches have gone viral mm-hmm. it's, it's mm. for how old i think his company is probably just over a year old it's a couple of years old at best yeah a couple of years yeah but but to, to get featured in, in hudinkian and to have the amount of press that he has had is is really quite amazing um and that's just just testament to, to how how nicely designed his products are but it's hard for a company of that size with with that level of cash flow to then cater for the internet market because it isn't just a local company you're you're immediately a global company so it's a real challenge for for and you you can throw ming into the mix there as well um and uh, and zodiac these smaller brands do struggle with with the demand and and we don't want any more waitlisted things or sold out things so it's it's a real challenge but i do think there is definitely a future in smaller brands coming up and people moving away from the main brands. I mean, you, you just to see the meteoric rise of FP Jean, mm-hmm. people getting annoyed with with not being able to get the, the Patek that they want so they can simply go over and get something arguably nicer from, from, from FP Jean. Well, not anymore because it's impossible to get. <laughs> <laughs> and so the machine continues to rumble on. Um, Tom, exactly. you are a connoisseur of the affordable timepiece. What are, your, what are your hopes and dreams for what's coming up? Well, I think it's always been the role in many industries for independents and micro brands to do to deviate away from the mainstream. You know, the big boys are all going to do what's popular, but that leaves room for the little guys to fill in the gaps and create the niches. So I just hope we just continue to see more weird and wonderful pieces like the watermelon watch and, and, and other things that the big boys wouldn't even dream of doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's my hope is just to see a few more out there pieces on the market. Um, and heritage is always a big thing, isn't it? We're, you know, we're Studio Underdog is a very young company. And that's something that the watch buyers are a little bit afraid of, aren't they? They they want to know that they're going to get, you know, something with a bit of history and a bit of reliability and stuff. And so sometimes micro brands, brands are a bit of a gamble, but I think the, the popularity of watches is just soaring all the time. So I think we're going to see more and more micro brands coming out and we're going to see more and more interesting pieces. And uh, yeah, I look forward to that. Hopefully it will happen. And I, I think the importance of heritage uh, f- from my view of the watch world is, is becoming less and less because yeah. there's, there's, like I say, there's, there's there's fun stuff being done and, and cool stuff being done. You you couldn't imagine one of these legacy watch companies doing a watermelon watch, but or or, or doing what what, what Studio Underdog did, Richard, uh, with with the chronograph separating the the logo, having the logo one side mm-hmm. and and the model the other side. It's like, how did it take for a very young chap in a one year old or, or a brand new watch company to fix something that watch brands have been doing for? Hundreds of years, uh, yeah. hundreds of years, and so it's 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 funny that, that that's happened. But I, I do feel like um, heritage is is becoming less and less of a, a thing, um, or maybe that's that's just my my view of it. Yeah, there's, there's two very good points there. One, Tom, you were talking about reliability. I think with the the access people have now to better quality manufacturing, 
even outside of Switzerland, the quality that can be made at the price that it can be made for, the movements that you can purchase and and put in a watch that are very reliable and easy to service. Yeah. Um, it's a, For me, it's a little bit like the transition from petrol-powered cars, which of course I love, to electric ones. This The simplicity of the manufacturer aids people to do a lot more with a lot less. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that reliability that that brings gives people more hope in being able to purchase something cheaper so they're generally less worried about its reliability because it's less money to lose but also actually owning it and going yeah you know what i can buy a 500 dollars watch and it will work for many many years without without worry sure um and the other point as well adrian that that you mentioned about heritage i i agree i think i think heritage has and always will have a place especially for the brands that have it and enjoy it but but what we've seen with um as you said with fp jean is people saying hang on a minute like this guy's not been doing it for long but he's a person and he's doing it and i can see into his mind and you get rather than this big vast museum of of kind of faceless invention you meet a person you you learn their personality he's He's built a brand around the idea that he's a grumpus. <laughs> and and people buy into that. People love it. And I, and I see independence being a lot more popular because you go, oh, hello. I, especially early doors, um, I spoke to Minhoon Yu the other day, and his clients are people who are like, I, I love the fact that I'm seeing your brand grow and seeing your skill set develop. And I want to be on the ground floor of that. It's exciting for collectors in a way that hasn't existed before. Yeah, well, maybe maybe then... It, it's not so much about heritage and reliability. It's more about just acceptance of new brands. Hopefully we'll just see more of that. There'll be less snobbery and people will take a chance. Hey, there's this new guy come out. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to be stung by a Kickstarter. Actually, people will be like, you know what? Let's have a, let's take a crack at this. It looks really cool. Let's give it a go. Um, I'm sure the pushers won't fall off. <laughs> just just super glue i super glued it back on oh brilliant yeah <laughs> i saw as an aside on the moon swatch i saw the funniest post the other day um because as is inevitable with these things when you can't get something fakes appear but the fakes of the moon swatch are higher quality <laughs> so they have yeah uh, but but to add insult to injury there was a person so someone said i couldn't get one so i bought a fake like I'm not really into that. I don't really think that's a good thing. But um, but this fake, they were saying, oh, it's got a sapphire crystal. It's got a stainless steel case back. <laughs> and a person responded to that saying, like, basically, you've lost all the essence of the moon swatch and you're not getting the full experience. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? What is this cud we're all chewing here, you know? <laughs> it, it, it is bizarre how... The, the 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 community or the world has access to all the information they need to to make um uh, an educated uh, opinion of of a watch company yet there's still an infinite amount of um uh, support for watch brands which are quite clearly milking an idea quite clearly selling a product that that isn't worth i mean we can say this for for all watch brands but but the the there are armies of people out there who are just devout to the moon watch and 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 the whole idea around it. It's like, guys, Omega is there to make money. All these watch brands are there to make money. But the reason there are so many versions of the Speedmaster is because it's a moneymaker. It's and but but people get very upset about 
anything that's negative towards it. I'd, I had, um, uh, I've, I've had a few death threats over, um, over my time, but I, I've never had so many uh, threats after uh, being negative about the, the moon swatch. It's, it's really quite bizarre. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, that's it. beyond bizarre. It's disgusting. That's, yeah. 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 Well said, Tom. Um, moving away from death threats, <laughs> you, you mentioned FP Jean, um, Adrian, the high-end independent. What's our predictions there? I like that you go first as well, because it means that I can think about it and contradict you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only see see that stuff going up. Uh, I, it doesn't matter whether there's a recession, whether the economy is in a good place or a bad place. There's always going to be money made and there's always going to be people wanting to spend more money. Uh, and so I can only see that marketing opening, that area of the market opening up even larger and being... Um, just, just, just being more popular. There's again, people. If we, if we carry on with this idea that that heritage isn't as important as perhaps it was uh, five, ten years ago, maybe twenty years ago, mm-hmm. then brands it gives room for these brands to come up and and be more uh, adventurous with what they're doing, especially if the watchmaker is still alive. If if you can actually meet the person who's physically going to make the watch, yeah, that is far more powerful than Patek as their brand, yeah. Uh, and it's it's and, and for, for the watch enthusiast, not not for the normal punter who just wants a, a flashy brand on on their watch. For for the person who wants a, a, a highly made device, and, and I think that's massive. Um, so I, I think that market is just going to absolutely boom uh, as 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 it is because people are learning more and more about watches. The desirability of of wanting a, an all gold Patek is probably going to go down, and someone wanting. Uh, a, a, a white gold or platinum watch made by Joe Bloggs who sits in a shed in, in somewhere in the world making a watch by hand. I think that is uh, going to be huge. And I think FB Jean is, is a, a perfect example of that, although they're, they're impossible to get now. What are your thoughts? I've had time to think about it. <laughs> Tom, I was going to bounce <laughs> to you. What do you think? It needs more time. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, they're just going to rumble on as they are. Like if you can't afford a... I, I, I don't think the recession or any any kind of you know global economic events is going to affect anyone who wants to buy an FP John. It's like oh damn <laughs> recession, I was so close. Um, <laughs> I think I think you save can, a couple more months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if you want to buy one, you can buy one. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I think teardrop hands will still be a thing for them. Um, I'm not sure. I really think, um, like the, as I mentioned before, I think that the, the market as a whole is predicted by the collector's market and the collector's market is moving so much more. Now Now all of the weird variants of vintage Submariner have been bought up and every last invention to make it unique, like, oh, mine's got a cracked dial, that makes it better. Now all of that has been covered. <laughs> my, my, my take is that collectors want to buy and own something that has a uniqueness to it. So I've got the one. You've got all. All my friends have got loads of money too, but they can't have this one. Yeah. And I think that's what really fuels this this independence. And and I'm seeing is if, if FP Jean took a while to build up, now we're seeing investment in watchmakers who are really really at the nascence of of their of their journey. People kind of almost like hedging their bets on who's going to be the next big thing. Uh, even like watchmakers sort of well beyond the realms of Switzerland, like Acrivia, and we were talking about men who knew. Those guys like are doing stuff that has become um, and probably will become very popular too. 
there's another thought that I had actually about this, uh, about uh, the high-end watches uh, scene. Are you guys familiar with a brand called Lyrique? Sounds like a 90s uh, no. R&B. Are you saying it right? <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like a sort of a 90s R&B band, doesn't it? But Lyrique, I can see uh, Adrian furiously Googling now. How are you spelling that? <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just send you a link really quick. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've seen these. So um, so this is this is Lurique, and for the benefit of our dear viewer and listener who don't know, basically, um, a guy who is part of a collector group on Facebook got in touch with me to say, hey, they're making this thing. They got sick of the idea of spending a lot of money on uh, independent watches, $20,000, $30,000. And so they decided, as a group of around 50 of them, to go and approach a bunch of different B2B brands... Um, if people don't know what that means, brands that make products for other brands and not for the general public, to collectively make them a watch. So, for example, they recruited Feidler for the hands. They make the hands for Rolex and people like that. They recruited uh, Vutalonen, which has a side uh, a side gig in making cases. They approached uh, Agenhor to make the movement, uh, Metalem to make the dials. And the, these brands collectively came together and made a watch, a very, very high-end, very interesting watch, for this group, a limited run, um, and I think the price comes in around, I think it's under $10,000 they each paid for this product. That, for me, is a really interesting and unusual take in cutting out the middleman and going straight to a lot of the brands who su supply some of the watchmakers that we would claim to make everything in-house. What do you think of that? So I, I, I didn't recognise the name, but I, I've, I've just been searching my WhatsApp thing and uh, I, I know the guys who've been who are behind this and they've been sending me photographs and videos of this watch as they've been working on it um perhaps hoping that i'd vote for it on uh gphg <laughs> um, but, but but yeah it's, it's a very interesting take the the, the idea that that watch enthusiasts can come together and, and build essentially the, the watch that they they want to build uh and and we all know that the markup on watches is huge especially watches that are in any kind of precious metal the the, the difference between steel and gold is is uh, price wise is is disproportionate to the price of actual steel and actual gold um so but 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 it's it's a very clever thing to do really it's it's let's let's get together and, and build the watch that we want to the level that we want focusing on the the things that are important to us uh, and they've done it which is is really quite cool yeah i'm interested to see where that spirals off to if those b2b brands do more of it if they want to try and keep it special or if it just goes nutso and they flood the market very interested to see and it's, it's very different from the the typical thing where people go into alibaba and order a case yeah uh, that, that's been used a thousand times before order a blank dial and just stamp your name on it this this is it, it, it there's nothing particularly groundbreaking about the design but the elements together make a, a, a very very awesome looking watch uh it, I, I love the the way that it's it's got a very traditional aspect to it but the individual elements are, are quite modern so it's uh i, I think it's very cool that's exactly what i was going to say i was just going to say it's drop shipping with extra steps it's just high-end <laughs> drop shipping <laughs> high-end drop shipping nice. yeah and thankfully it's not ended up looking like the homer <laughs> yeah they picked some good parts yeah um and it, do, do you know what actually kind of in taking all the elements that we've spoken about even even taking off 
our relationship to Richemont and all that kind of stuff, I think one of the brands that's doing a lot of these things well, without having to be really, really small, but without being massive and balancing it, is uh, Langenzerner. I think they have... Oh, here we go. I had I had 20 minutes before we started talking about Anne Langenzerner. <laughs> they have... They they don't want to upscale their production enormously. They they keep themselves focused on making very high quality product. They're very open about the fact they don't make their cases, dials, and hands because like why why would they try and take credit for someone else's work? They have a great personality behind behind Anthony de Haast, who's a real idea maker and thinker and enthuser. And the stuff they do is inventive and interesting. Look, they try stuff that makes you go, huh? You know. Uh, I, I think they've managed to find that balance in a space somewhere between kind of really kind of well-known and commercial and an independent that's very, very small and does niche stuff with an individual watchmaker. I, I, I think it's great that, that they're, they're open about what parts they, they don't make because um, it, it drives me nuts how much watch brands try to make out that they make everything <laughs> of the watch. There, there's absolutely no shame in not making a component you're still putting your name on the dial therefore you're responsible with deciding who who's making that 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 product and if we go back uh, 20 30 years very few brands made things you'd buy a watch and it would be stamped in the case bag yeah. with who actually made the case bag who actually made the case there's no shame in that so it's, it's ridiculous for these watch brands to to make out that they're making everything within the watch it's it's completely unnecessary uh, so so good on them for for doing that. Yeah. I love Langer. I, th- I think Langer are absolutely stunning. It was w- yeah. way out of my price range, but they're gorgeous. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's it's kind of like a bit like the De Beers situation around diamonds. It's like a f- a false history that watchmakers yeah. made everything. Even even back in the pocket watches days, they would make the movement, but case style hands they weren't even interested. They, that's usually why you had a a Vacheron and a Constantin because one of them made the movements and wanted nothing to do with anything else, and the other one had to go and put it in something and sell it to someone uh, and all the stuff that actually made money for the business. And it makes it hard for the smaller brands, the the, the, the lower end brands, because people say, oh, you, you, you didn't make all that watch. Yeah, so, but nor did Patek. (laughs) Just because they say they do doesn't mean they do. And the same with so many other watch brands making out that they're in-house when they are not in-house. It's it's silly. It's all silliness. (laughs) It is. Um, The next point that I wanted to talk about, uh, we've touched upon it a little bit about watches being made elsewhere, but specifically China. Now, I've been very interested to see the progress from making rubbish versions of watches that uh, are sold in a Turkish market to actually now seeing Chinese watches winning awards at the GPHG for originality. Where do you think that's going to go? Do you think we're going to see a genuine arm of watchmaking coming from China? Uh, yes, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer that that where you live in the world and, and um, your, your background, culture, heritage or anything like that it has, has no bearing on your ability to make a watch. It's, it's down to your creativity, your attention to detail. And if uh, the, the, the challenge with the idea of something being made in the Far East being bad is simply down to QC. It's simply down to attention to detail and Things are made in, in the Far East because labor is cheap, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to make high-end things. If you go to um, any dial maker and see how many dials are written off just to find that perfect dial, mm-hmm. it's uh, the, that's where the cost is. The cost is in the waste, not necessarily the final product, or rather it's the, the, the cost of getting to the final product. If you pay 
um, a, a, a doll manufacturer in, in China enough to to create the perfect doll, they they will make it be able to make it just as easily as as the Swiss can. It's just paying the cost for writing that stuff off. And this is kind of the, the, the difference between people saying, "Oh, you can buy a fake Rolex for for X amount from China," uh, and it just goes to show how much we're being ripped off in in uh, by Rolex in, in Switzerland. No, because Rolex has paid for the development of yeah. that part. They've done all the R and D to get that part perfect the guys in in china or the far east wherever the fakes are made they sell off the reject parts as just a lower quality fake yeah. and so it's, it's a completely different are we getting off off the tangent so to answer your question no i <laughs> I, I, I think um it, it it's it's a very interesting time for watchmaking because we, everywhere in the world has access to to these machines to to make these products and also the fact that if if you're someone in China who has access to a machine that can make components for uh, other industries that, that require high precision. There's no reason why that, that machine can't be used for, um, for watchmaking. I remember going to visit Roger Smith and, uh, and one of his CNC um, chaps used to work for an F1 team. So like this, yeah. it, it's, it's the attention to detail and, and the, the, the obsession for perfection in a completely different industry, but just applying it to a new one. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense for for China to to be a, a powerhouse in watchmaking, really. Yeah, and I think we're definitely seeing as well as as you do with technology. The the more mature technology gets, the cheaper it becomes. So, milling machines become yeah. cheaper. The produce can be made to a higher quality for less money. So, you can then expect yeah. a watch that's made in China to be higher quality. And I'm really hoping to see, I see a few kind of independent watchmakers from China, you know, posting on Instagram, showing their handiwork, all lovely polished bevels and things like that. And I think that could be a real nice source. I really like what you said, Adrian, about the idea of it's not the place they are. It's, it's almost like it's your attitude, it's your mentality, and you can have that wherever yeah. in the world you are. Um, yeah. And, and, and also, a lot of people don't realise that uh, the, uh, a lot of the most loved brands uh, large successful brands still have parts made in China. So this this concept that if it's made in China, it's bad. Well, then um, a lot of fan people might be upset that their watch is part made in China. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's funny how you say. Yeah, you're saying um, logistically they can get there, and yeah, um, their attitude and their attention to detail. But I think the the biggest challenge they've got to overcome is the customer's attitude, really. I think it's yeah. people's perception of China that's going to hold them back, really, isn't it? Um, but on the flip side, I get annoyed of, with how people put Swiss made on such a pedestal. Sure. It's, it's, it, 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 it drives me nuts when people say, I, I get messages from people saying, oh, only buy a Swiss watch. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Have you not heard of Roger Smith? <laughs> Have you not heard of Lang? It's 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 a ridiculous concept and, and just a marketing concept. It's, it, it's it just really... feels like there's just so much of that attitude still wrapped up in this industry though, um, which is a shame. And I'm I'm really pushing Timex hard on the channels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It kind of it almost makes me a little bit sad that a brand like Hamilton, you know, of which I own a, a great railroad pocket watch and love very much, oh, nice. had to move to Switzerland. To, to be to be considered legitimate it's like hello switzerland copied the way hamilton made watches in america to even have an industry in the first place like <laughs> and, and also had had they stayed where they were that would have been a really cool move to to, to wait it out i mean they, they got bought out so there's, there's they had no choice in it yeah. but to, to, to have a, a a legitimate u.s made watch would be killer 
Yeah. Yeah. They certainly need more of that. I, I think, yeah. The idea of watchmaking becoming more of an international thing and moving away from Switzerland really appeals to me because you just then start to think, how is culture going to influence how it looks? Even just even just kind of like a tiny bit away from Switzerland and you look at Langer and how they look. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like... That's like throwing distance. And then you see what Grand Seiko are up to on the other side of the world. Exactly. Uh, it, it just, it makes me happy to think that we might see some stuff that's different. Yeah. Even if no one would like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that brings me to the kind of the final point, really. And it's probably where we should have started if we're saying that these things are the, like the nascence of the trends. What do you think a brand like Rolex is going to do next to make people sit up and go, oh, hello, left-handed, you say? <laughs> oh, man. I, I honestly don't know. It's a, it. I think they need to, and I've been saying this for a while, I think they need to figure out how they can make the purchasing experience better mm -hmm. because it is not nice buying a Rolex. Um, it's, it, it, it's just not, and, and it should be, it, it should be a pleasurable experience. Um, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I think they need to take a step back and, and figure out how they, how they deal with customers. But, but then it, uh, everyone's struggling with this. Vacheron are really struggling with the concept of, of their popularity and, and how they handle wait lists and, and customers. They make so few watches that they just can't hand them out. Whereas Rolex is, is on the other side of it. They, they, uh, I think it's over a million watches they make a year. And that's, that's a lot of watches. They're a huge part. Of the, they're 28% of the entire Swiss watch industry. Uh, and, and so that, that is a massive machine. And they, they have the money. They must be able to hire someone who can create a better infrastructure to, to get the watches to their, their customers. Or do something that damages uh, the, the, the pre-owned market to the point where it, it isn't that big a deal. The, the the premium to 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 sell a, a Rolex. I, I don't know what they can do. I don't know what they, they need to change something because because buying a Rolex from Rolex sucks. <laughs> and we're all sadomasochists, so we all want to have the sucky experience. And this is the annoying thing about it. I've I've I've, I've got a podcast. It's, it's not my podcast. I've, I've joined a, a couple of mates to to create a podcast, and our, our next session is is called Rolex Therapy, and and we talk about how. Rolex feels like some narcissistic parent that we're just desperate to impress and we're desperate to get the validation. And that's, we, we just go back for more because we just want to be allowed in to buy that watch. And it's, it's completely unnecessary. Tom, do you have any theories? Um, well, I'm still on the wait list for my Timex Charlie Brown weekender. So I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna join any more wait lists. I just, the, the weekender range is amazing. That's, that's a really cool. It's so cool. I love what Timex are doing and I love how it, you know, it means that you can enjoy watches guilt-free. It's, it's a great thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. I had a bet on for when you were going to mention Langer. I didn't even bother putting a bet on when you were going to mention Rolex. I knew that was inevitable. Um, but yeah, I mean... <laughs> got, got the interviews in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what can you say, really? It's, uh, I just, I, I, I don't even, I just don't even think about it now. Um, if one day they're readily available, like the Moon Swatch, maybe I'll have a, I'll have a peek. But um, until then, yeah, I've I've actually got a little bit of a business proposition for Rolex. Like, and I'm gonna I'll, before I go and speak to the big guy, I'm gonna run it past you guys, see what you think. Sure. So the 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 current experience that you have when you buy a new Rolex is you crawl through the small door in the ads. 
stool on your hands and yeah. knees. And then he deigns whether or not you were allowed onto the wait list. Yeah. Are you married? <laughs> and then you uh, and then you wait and you wait and you wait. And eventually you kind of you might say, yes, we've got something here for you. Come on, bring your money. And um, and that's that kind of sour experience that some people seem to really revel in and some people don't like. I think what they could do is add a middle section in here, for better or for worse. Now, imagine when you buy a car, uh, if you're fortunate to ever go and spec a brand new Porsche 911, for example, they, um, they will sit you down and they will go through every inch of that car. What colour do you want the stitching on the underside of the floor mat? What smell do you want coming out of the air vents? Blah, 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 blah. And I wonder if with, say, like the left-handedness, the different colours, steel and gold, if we might end up in a space where you go and visit the big flagship boutique and they wine and dine you and you sit there and you go, right, we're going to go into the case room and you can have this case. Would you like crown guards or would you like without? Would you like this or would you like the other? And you pick each aspect and so you end up with something that's not unique. Someone else could pick it, but it feels custom to you. I've got a big sense that kind of customization is going to be a, a growing trend in the future. And I wonder if Rolex will do that. So you get the call to spec your product. Ooh, exciting. And then you wait another six months for it to be handcrafted from the finest tiers of a unicorn. And then and then it turns up and you have a big fanfare and you get to pull the tiny little dust cover off of it. I quite like that. Yeah. I would thought you were going to add a kicker where... In the meantime, you can drive off in this lovely Tudor, and then when you come back in six months, we'll switch it around. Because as <laughs> it currently stands, is you get at the hump and then you drive off in an Omega. Tom's in for twenty percent <laughs> of the idea. Adrian, anything to add? So logistically and and and, and commercially, I, I think that's a, a nightmare because it pushed the prices up. Because the, the the idea is that these things are mass produced, and and the the best way to make money from mass production is to limit choice. Um, however, I think given the overall trend of luxury wanting something to be unique and something to be yours there's there's uh, i'm put off the daytona because of how popular it is on on instagram i'm, I'm put off the hype watches because you see them all the time on instagram you think mm -hmm. it, it then becomes common which is the complete opposite from luxury mm -hmm. so i actually think that's a winning idea for rolex is is they you give them the, the the choice. You get to choose whether you want your Explorer in thirty six or thirty nine or or whatever. Uh, and you get to choose which brace it, it's on. It maybe there's an element of personalising it. You, you you can have your initials engraved on the back or a message engraved, and that's something that that they actively do. And it isn't a three year, two year, one year wait. It's a six month, and you will get your watch in six months, or you will get your watch in in three months. I think that would be a far better customer experience and and could then stop uh the, the flippers as well because people would have a bigger emotional investment in their watch you've actually um for your for your 20 percent of the share you've, you've made a good point there it would make the watch more expensive now i i have a sneaky feeling that tudor is well, I, I consider it to be underpriced i think a black bay 58 could be a lot more expensive rolex is e eking up in price tudor backfills Mm -hmm. If Rolex has that thing that kind of just nips it just above that price point, that sense of uh, customization and uniqueness that allows it to do that, Tudor can then just come in just behind and take its place. Yes, I think I think we should be on the the board of Rolex. I think we've got that sorted for them. <laughs> I, I think we should start our own watch company. Yeah, and, uh... <laughs> with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> 
So build a watch workshops is what you're saying for Rolex. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go, dear viewer and listener. Um, Our views on exactly what the watch industry will not be doing for the next 12 months or so. (laughs) You didn't hear it here first. Uh, Thank you so much, Adrian, for for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Links to his channel in the description below now named adrian Barkin, which he did apparently i've heard he did for money uh, it's purely for money I was, i've paid millions for that <laughs> farewell jackson we hardly knew you <laughs> uh, and links to the about effing time podcast too um although you're going to have to explain to your good friend over at bamford why you have now uh, sold him out on his idea of customizing watches to Rolex. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, all of you listening, please do like, comment, subscribe, and all of that juicy stuff. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks so much, guys. Bye bye. Why do I always wave? Who am I waving to? <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.